What is up, everybody? Jay Miller here. This is the Pit Show, where I, your host, just sit here and talk about stuff. Talk about just things that have been going on, things that have been happening in my week. And then I also share a conversation that I've had with a friend uh, from the internet. And this week is going to be no different. I'm going to try to keep it brief this time. Last time I rambled for so long, I had to split the episode up into two different ones. Uh, I want to get one thing out. So let's jump right into this. Uh, A lot happened this week. I will probably be like organizing my thoughts and releasing topics from stuff that has happened this week for the rest of the month. Like that's how crazy of a, of a week it's been. But l- I want to talk about one particular thing. Um, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine, Trey Hunter. Uh, Trey's actually was a guest on the show earlier this year. I will provide a link to that in the show notes, but Trey was helping me with some, uh, some code that I've been writing for uh, the website static website generator that I built. Uh, for those that don't know, yeah, if you go to any of my websites, I actually built the code that generates those sites. Uh, kind of a fun project called Render Engine. I've talked about it before on the show, but yeah, we were talking about it and you know, I've, I've been saying like time and time again, now that I've got some time available to me, uh, big update after my mental health check-in, I was able to finish the big project, the big thing on my back. Uh, there will be a conversation about that. That was originally going to be the conversation here, uh, but I want to kind of flesh that out a little bit more. But yeah, now that I have a little bit more time, I, I wanted to focus on getting Render Engine in a state that I could say like, okay, this is in a good beta. This is like a really good beta. We've got documentation that we're building out. We've got tests that we're writing to make sure things work as expected. But ultimately, things are looking up. And, you know, one of the things that I had done is I had added all of these little feature things. And I was doing that because I wanted to do it. I wanted to implement it. And part of me wanted to ensure that Render Engine was was going to be capable of building uh, that functionality and making it easy as possible to use. However... (laughs) In in my conversation with Trey, we were we were talking about like what is the actual cost of implementing these features? What was the overall strategy of implementing these features? Um, you know, we were talking about like a plugin system, we were talking about building like extensions and all this other stuff and what that would look like and different modules that I could use. And there's just a whole bunch of different ideas that would come into effect with this. And at the end of the day, like none of them were really the best. <laughs> like at the end of the day, we I realized it was much easier to take those features out. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that in particular. So I've got a few points here. I'm going to not try to be super productivity podcast here. Actually, a couple of them are going to be kind of anti-productivity. Um, and the first thing that I want to talk about is the pain to maintain. Uh, simple is beautiful. <laughs> you know, simplicity brings production. I, I can tell you the hardest part about automation is there are times when automation can become complicated. It can complicate things. 
for example, I've been trying to build a, a dashboard for one of uh, the iPads that I got. Shout out to a good friend of mine uh, for hooking me up. Uh, Jack, you know who you are. Thank you so much for the iPads. I mean, I paid for them, but you know, also thank you for making them available because now I, I have this single area, almost like a little stream deck, but not just for my computer, for like my entire home environment, my entire setup. So I think it was it was super cool of like, hey, I want a single block that allows me to look and get the status of all the lights in my house because we have a bad habit of leaving lights on. And, you know, sure, it doesn't hurt, but it doesn't help either. You know, just just turn off lights. That's such a big deal. Just turn off the lights. Uh, but in this process, I, I've kind of done this a few times, and I was working with a tool called MFC Deck. I, I love this tool. I love the idea of it and what it can bring. And I think ultimately it's going to be how I build out these dashboards for what I want, the information that I want. But as I was talking with the creator of MFC Deck, Adam, uh, he asked me, he's like, why don't you just use the home app? <laughs> and And part of me was like well, I want to learn how to do this, but then also like the home app is a little complicated. You know, all this stuff is, it gets moved around. It's not in the right spot. The rooms are all jacked up. And he was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So, it, but still it was almost like questioning the idea of like, is there an easier way to just do this? And in that case, like, yeah, there kind of is. I mean, it's not the most graceful way, but it does work. But bringing that back to Render Engine, like the idea of adding all of these features, like, yeah, the features would be used by some people, but they wouldn't be used by everybody. And at the end of the day, I could implement the same features without having to support them within the platform. Like I could just build them myself and like insert them into the project. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I like my system is that it allows for you to like extend above and beyond, you know, the implementation of it. So when, when I made the decision to take features out, it started to simplify the maintenance process. You know, that's less tests that I have to write. That's less uh, documentation that needs to be written. It's less code all overall. And whenever I am adding something in that I feel is good, or if I'm making an adjustment to some code or optimizing something, it's one less thing that I have to be worried about whether or not it's going to break. And to me, that's the true benefit of simplicity. And I mean, that kind of cuts into the next point, which is remember why you did a thing. Uh, just to be frank, this is going to be anti-productivity thing. Like, the more you're doing, the more you should be questioning. Like, we talk about this idea of getting things done, not GTD, patent, pen, like copyright, you know, David Allen, whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, the idea of actually accomplishing a task. And 
we often think about it from the perspective of the more tasks that we're accomplishing, the better we're doing. And I want to challenge that. I want to challenge the idea of like, maybe the more you're doing, the worse off you are. Especially for me with like ADHD, I will find tasks to do just so that I can avoid other tasks. Like if I got a thousand things done around the house, like it's probably because I'm avoiding doing something that I should be doing. Um, and with Render Engine, a good example of that was like I was creating all the, this idea of like, Oh, I need to build a plugin system. Oh, I need to do all this other stuff. And it was like, you should probably finish that documentation. You should probably finish writing those tests. And it's like, I should, but I really want to build this other thing. This other thing is way more fun. Let me focus on that instead of what I should be doing. And because of that, I was kind of delaying the launch of this product because I couldn't wrap my head around the idea of like, do the things that need to get done, dummy. But yeah, so if you, if you ever catch yourself just doing a lot of stuff, start to question, is it because you're avoiding something that needs to be done or just that you are like actually crushing it? And I mean, sometimes the answer is yes, you're actually crushing it. A uh, little bit of update on me and what's going on in my life. Uh, mental health, I am losing a little bit of weight, having trying to eat better, do all those things. You got to take care of yourself and all that stuff. Uh, I am going to be giving some talks in the next few weeks. I don't have too many details about them. I'll have a little bit more information uh, in the future once that becomes a thing. Uh, I, I am speaking at Pie Cascades. I'm going to be talking about a project that I'm doing for work, which is super awesome. It's uh, trying to figure out how to work with some bad data and and figuring out how we can make positive change in the world, even when the data behind it isn't um, as optimal as we would like. Uh, I also have you know been playing around with some other stuff online. I don't really have any links or stuff to share. Uh, be on the lookout for a uh, new Tafoder on the website. Uh, and probably, I, I don't know, we got to figure that out. Like, how would y'all like to get links and tips and tricks from me? Because the Tafoder on the website is great. And by the way, Tafoder just stands for things I found out recently. Yeah, no, things I found on the internet recently. I think that's what it is. Yeah, things I found on the on the internet recently. Yeah. So like I I wouldn't mind having that be like a a little newsletter thing. Um I have some questions around like the idea of that newsletters are like becoming the hotness once again. Uh it's like every like 5 or 10 years or so newsletters become a thing. But uh I'm not going to dilly anymore. I'm not going to dally anymore. Is it dilly or dally? I'm not going to dally anymore. Um I want to introduce the guest for this upcoming interview. Uh, Nakima Prophet is someone that I've been following on Twitter. Uh, I think I started following her at the beginning of this year. Uh, she was in the process of looking for some work. And I think when we 
recorded this, she had just gotten hired and we were we were talking about the process. Both of us were on the job hunt at the same time. Um, we were kind of sharing our stories and uh, Nikima is the type of person that is doing so many wonderful things and has also experienced a lot just in the tech space. So uh, the next voices you're going to hear are, are me and Akima having a discussion about some of those things, but definitely check out the interview and stay tuned for the after show afterwards. I think that you will definitely enjoy it. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Nakima Prophet. My guest today is someone that I have recently met online on Twitter, been following and just immediately was inspired and like just excited to dive deeper into learning more about them. Uh, I am speaking with Nakima Prophet. Nakima is a software developer. She is the founder of Pop Schools and she was just hired. Like, I think as we're recording this, she is like celebrating like pre hiring week with all the sweat and anxiety and excitement that comes with that. But Nikima, how are you doing this Saturday that we are recording? I'm really good. <laughs> I'm excited and nervous and, and I don't know, looking forward to this conversation. So I, I have just, just instantly been like, yo, Nikima is like about it. She is so like, on fire for like what she's trying to get done and what you're trying to do. Like tell, tell the audience a little bit more about who you are, like as a person, as a developer, as a founder, like all of those things, all those things that make up the whole you. Okay. Yeah. I've been working on this, (laughs) like not rambling through this and giving my entire life story, but I am in my late 30s, I grew up in Sacramento, California. I was born and raised here. Um, and for the first part of my life, like through high school, I thought I would be a professional dancer. Like that was my big goal. Um, and I worked towards that. I After high school, I went to a dance school in New York. Um, and I gave it my shot didn't last very long, (laughs) stayed in New York and eventually got pregnant. So when I got pregnant and I don't know, can you hear the kids in the background? A little bit, but that's okay. okay. (laughs) Yeah. They, they just started. (laughs) Um, I got, yeah. When I was pregnant, I kind of moved back home and I started changing my my aspirations and my goals because now I would have this family to support. Um, and I've always had an interest in computers. It wasn't it wasn't a thing that I thought would be my career um, because I was going to be a dancer, and there was no plan B. That was it. Um, 
But I started to seriously think about it once I had a family to think about. And I started school, um, local community college. I took me about five years to finish a one-year certificate um, in web development. Um, And I did that starting from when I was pregnant and, you know, through my kids' early years. So with two babies, all of that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't mention that I had another baby about a year later. (laughs) So for years, I had two babies and I was always a single mom. And I just, I just knew back then. And even back then I was thinking, um, this is something that I can do and still be a mom. Like I can work from home. I can still stay close to my kids and, um, I can do something that I enjoy. So that's, why I decided to pivot to software development. Um, But yeah, I accidentally became an entrepreneur um, while I was trying to find work as a software development, a software developer, because I finished that program after all those years and I was like, okay, now what? I need to get a job. And I just didn't see an entry. So I started to get into the local community here, um, going to meetups, volunteering. I started volunteering with a local organization here called Code for Hood. Um, and they host hackathons for youth. Um, and a lot of times these, the youth, um, didn't have like regular access to computers or internet access at home. Um, so they would take these weekends and learn new tech and team up and build stuff and present their work. So that was one of the first things that I volunteered for in the tech tech community here. Um, and that was cool. I ended up going to a startup weekend and I was like, yeah, I'm going to practice being a developer. I'm going to get some practical skills or experience and my team won. So like we won, it was like, and this, this switch like flipped in my mind where it's like, Oh, like my ideas matter. My contributions matter. And like, I can work on the problems that I'm having that no one else seems to care about. So that's kind of when I was born as an entrepreneur. And also the aftermath of that startup weekend was, um, the person who kind of appointed herself CEO and had the idea for our startup decided to run with it and run with our work and claim it as her own. So that pissed me off to the point where like, I kind of had like this, this turning point where I was so angry that I'd left my kids for a weekend and that somebody would like take, credit for my work um it was a big turning point just in my life (laughs) where it's just like I I'd been this very timid quiet doormat personality and that was like the no more point so at that point yeah this is my origin story (laughs) angry enough to like say no more and also like newfound awareness that I can start solving these problems that I have. So 
that's kind of when Pop Schools was born. It wasn't called Pop Schools back then. Um, but I was homeschooling my kids and I was a single mom and I was broke and I was trying to find work, remote work as a software developer. And I was just like, there's nothing for people like me. <laughs> like, There's nothing for this situation. There's no one I can go to to address any of this. Like the world is not set up for kids if they're not in school. Um, and at the time, I think my kids are like seven, eight. So like there just weren't options for them outside of a classroom. Um, so, okay. Yeah. This is really going on long. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling I'm enjoying it. Okay. I'm learning, like, hey, I like this. <laughs> yeah. So I started, yeah, I started working on my company back then. It wasn't named. It had gone through all these different names. It was called the village at some point. It was, um, more of an alternative school, um, near the beginning was what was the goal was like to have this, like, um, like this self-directed space for kids, um, and, and their families, like where hypothetically I could have a remote job and like have a space for me to do my work and also have a space where my kids are doing their, their schoolwork and socializing with other kids and, and they are in a safe and, you know, appropriate environment <laughs> for kids. Um, so that's kind of what the goal was back then. It evolved. Um, and the last kind of iteration where it was more kid-focused was um, a family co-working space. So... Yeah, basically what I just described, a place where kids could come in the homeschool or after school program and have like dedicated space and like real accommodations for them. But there's also like all of the amenities that you find in a co-working space for the parents. Um, um, but let, let yeah. me say, I need that here. <laughs> like, I need that in Sydney. It has, I still need so it. Hard. Okay. <laughs> it's still, it's still a goal. Like, it's a goal of my, I've kind of like set it aside. It's on the back burner and then, you know, COVID-19, all of that. But yeah, it's still like, I still need it. And my kids are older now. And they're to the point where it's like, they don't need as much supervision as they did when they were younger, you know, there are more options for them as they get older, but I still need it. So yeah, family co-working space, like, you know, I used to say like, yeah, we work in after school program, but yeah. And a lot of the, when I would be pitching my idea, people were like, Oh yeah. Like, um, the wing does that or other people do that. I'm like, Nope, no one does it because those programs were for preschoolers, not yeah. for school-aged um, children. Um, so, yeah, that was the big idea. I actually tried to raise money for that um, with the uh, regulation crowdfunding. Didn't work. I didn't meet the minimum. So, like, that was kind of a fail. Um, but there was a big pivot, and that happened um, – when I attended coding school, <laughs> I'm not going to mention the name of the school. Like it, you can find it if you really want to look 
because I do, I have mentioned it before, but I went to a coding school and I, um, was just horrified, (laughs) not, yeah, horrified by the way that from what I saw as exploitation, like mass exploitation of people who are really motivated and really just want to have a better way of life. Um, so I saw that that was being preyed, preyed on by, by some of these coding schools and including the one that I was attending. Um, and since I attended on scholarship and it was better than free for me, um, I kind of felt this, that I had, it wasn't a feeling like it was true. I had privilege over other students in the school and I was in a position where I didn't owe the school anything. I was also in a position where I wasn't entirely uh, needing a job. I mean, I did need a job. (laughs) I I wasn't, I was still broke, but um, I was already, I had already started pop schools. Like I was still very much wanting to build pop schools. So like my top priority was not learn to code because I already knew how to code. It wasn't learn to code and get a job. It was like build up my skills and like make this, make pop schools better, make pop schools look better, like build my reputation. Like I have these skills now that I can apply to the things that I care about. So that was my goal. Um, And it wasn't, you know, yeah, it wasn't learn to code, get a job, which is what most people are in boot camps to do or coding schools to do. Um, So I saw some things that upset me. um, And pop schools kind of pivoted because of that. So today, pop schools is not, we don't really talk about children or families so much. Um, because I am a, still a single mom and I'm still, you know, up until now I was unemployed, um, except for my company that was not generating an income for me. Um, so I still had those needs that I had when I started pop schools and when I pivoted pop schools. So it's always going to be, um, like the needs of, of black women, the needs of mothers or parents, the needs of people who are, uh, you know, economically disadvantaged are always going to be at the forefront for me because it's still very much where I am. Um, so yeah, pop schools is now not about children or homeschooling or co-working spaces, but it's about building a community for technologists and it's a community with a goal to get people into paying work. And I see these people as people and I see them as my, my community, like my friends, <laughs> my colleagues. And I just don't know another person who's approaching this the way I am. And I don't... I just, I'm still just very disgusted by the fact that I felt like people were being looked at as, as dollar signs and, and, you know, human capital. <laughs> so I, it's, it's disgusting to me. 
And it's, it's something that I have a righteous rage about to this day where it's just that like, it's very obvious that you don't, you don't care about these people and they're just a way of, of making money. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. On top of that, I'm also an artist. I am a visual artist. So like, I don't really dance anymore. I consider that my past life, but, um, I'm a visual artist. I love to code. I have two kids. They're 11 and 12. Or no, they're not. They're not 11 and 12. They're 12 and 13. (laughs) They just had birthdays. Um, I have two cats, too. So (laughs) I don't know. So the first question that I have is about the dancing. Mm -hmm. What kind of dance are we talking about? Because... There, there was a lot there, and <laughs> I feel like the dancing side of that, if, if all of that passion was in any kind of dancing, it had to be lit. So I, I want to know, <laughs> I, I got to know, we're talking like hip hop, we do like interpretive dancing, like, like what's going on? So the funny thing about me as a dancer is I'm not a natural, like you put music on, I'm not just going to like start dancing. I'm not a natural. It was something that I intentionally focused on and tried to like um, develop <laughs> I to try to develop my skills. And I think like in hindsight, I think my commitment to dance training saved me in a lot of ways because I was very um, moody. I was a depressed kid like depressed teenage <laughs> like yeah i've been i've had i've struggled with depression my pretty much my whole life um so i was moody i was introverted and i was painfully painfully shy like to the point where even recently um or like back when i i restarted school when i when i was pregnant for computer for web development um like I would get knots in my stomach just like raising my hand to answer a question like it was that bad so I feel like this commitment to dancing kept me from being a complete like completely shut in inside of myself so I liked ballet like ballet was my focus um and it was it was this constant struggle of like I'm so self-conscious like I'm don't look good doing this but like I for some reason like that was the thing that I was going to do I was going to be a dancer so I I rearranged everything I could to get my dance education because we are not or my family is not you know not very well off some somewhere like middle class Um, but we didn't have money for like daily dance classes or anything like that but my parents did allow me to go to the public schools that had performing arts programs so that's what I did um so I did get to dance daily and and be trained that way um once I left high school and like went to school I actually got accepted to Cal Arts for dance um did not go there because like I said, we weren't rich. <laughs> CalArts is expensive. Um, I got accepted to CalArts and the Ailey School in New York. So I went to the Ailey School and of course there it's, they're like a modern contemporary um, dance 
school so and company. So I got to expand a lot of what I did. I really only did ballet and maybe some jazz dance before. But once I got to New York, it was everything. So I was taking ballet every day and and Horton technique, um, which is a modern dance technique. And then there were other classes. So I took Afro-Caribbean, um, Dunham. And yeah, it was just, you had, I had to like broaden, <laughs> broaden my, uh, my training once I was there. And I actually didn't last very long in New York because um, my, my first semester, so I went to the summer intensive in the summer of 2001. Um, so my first real semester was fall of 2001 and um, 9-11 happened. So that was the big disruption. Um, I was living in New Jersey. It was really hard to get to school. And I didn't make it. I just, I ended up dropping out of school that first semester. Didn't even finish the first semester. Um, kind of like I dropped out thinking I would, I would go back. Like I would, I would do what I, what I, I would do what I could to like get settled and, and go back. But that never happened. I actually tried to re-audition for school and didn't get back in. <laughs> so, um, I didn't give up on dance at that point when I didn't get back into the Ailey school. I, I still danced. Um, I took classes at the, at the colleges in the city. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much the end of my dance, my dance career, but that never got started. No, I, I think, I think something you said at the beginning, you said there was no plan B. And yeah, I, I am one. I'm I'm just like you. I'm a college dropout. I dropped out my first semester, and like, I just had to work. I was like, I'm I'm gonna be independent. I'm not moving back in with mom and dad. Like, I'm gonna make this work. And then eventually, I just joined the military because I was like, I can't make this work on my own. Um, but for me, I did live a life like, no, nah, there is no plan B. Like, plan A might change a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean, it might change a lot, but I'm not going in with the, the expectation of, well, what happens if this fails? And, and I wonder, yeah, I wonder why people feel like there has to be some kind of exit strategy for everything. Like, I, I get it. it. It's fine. I guess if, if you're already going into it with the assumption that you're not going to be able to do it, like, you can rest on the uh, the fact. Well, well, if this doesn't work, I can always go and do this other thing. Like for me, I've I've never wanted to have that idea of like, oh, I'm gonna get married, but you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, do whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna have kids, but like, if for some reason I'm a bad father, you know, like no one goes in with those with that mindset. So why would you apply that to other things in life? Like for me, becoming a developer or I guess a, a quote unquote professional developer was not necessarily the like, if I don't do this this exact way, I'm a failure. But it was, what do I have to do to get to that point? 
it's not going to be a six year journey. It's not going to be a, you know, six month journey. It's going to be a journey. And I'll know when I got there, when I signed the offer, offer letter, you know, but <laughs> at the same time, I'm not going into it with the idea of like, I'm going to give my, like, I always hear that. I'm going to give myself two years to figure this out. And if it doesn't, then I'll recollect. It's like, no, just, just do it. Do the thing. Like that's, that's what I hear when, like, when you mentioned pop schools, like again, mm-hmm. I feel like I was like, man, this is like a, a boys and girls club meets we work kind of thing. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm liking it. I'm liking that idea. Cause I need that in my life. But at the same time, I can definitely understand the idea of the needs of people change. The ideas that we have are allowed to change. What we want to do is allowed to change. How we want to impact the world is allowed to change. If like, I I just try to think about like, if, if representative John Lewis, rest in peace, like if he was like, I want the right to vote for all black people. And they're like, all right, cool. You got that now. And he's like, all right, good. I'm done. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. it, 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 that wasn't the stopping point. Like there was like, okay, now there, there are other needs and there are more important things at certain times that come up and we're allowed to change our minds. We're allowed to change our opinions. And that's one of the things I love about following the work that you've done is that you have addressed it as right now, this is the thing that I'm focused on and I'm going to give myself to it completely. And that said, I'm going to use that as a segue to, to ask you about something while I grab a drink of water. Cause I'm like choking over here. Okay. But then like, how, how did that come into play with the hundred days of job search? Okay. Yeah. hundred days of job search. <laughs> um, yeah, so pop schools was like I said, not not bringing in an income. I had never in my adult life known financial security. I was depressed. <laughs> I and I knew like a lot of why I was depressed was because it just did, well, didn't have enough money to take care of basic needs, and that is a constant source of stress when your bank account is always $500 overdrawn because that's what your overdraft limit is. Um, like to, to constantly be looking at a negative balance and to just hope and pray that nothing unexpected happens where you're going to have to spend a couple hundred dollars on anything. Um, it's, it's awful. (laughs) And then at the same time, I'm a, I'm a parent And I have to do my best to shield my kids from that. Like I can be stressed, but I don't want them to, to be stressed about the money we don't have. So, um, it was kind of recommended to me by, you know, a few people that I trust and, um, respect that, you know, like pop schools is great. And like, it's great that you're, you're, pursuing it but like you have to take care of yourself like you have to be in a position to take care of yourself first so like you should consider getting a job (laughs) 
And I actually did consider getting a job a year ago. And I did a job search hashtag a year ago, which was in days of job search because I didn't have like a, like an ending. I was just going to search until I got a job. Um, and I did that in 2019, the end of 2019. And I got a job. Um, and it was with a friend of mine who's also a founder. And she was like, hey, like, I would love for you to work with me. Like, and I worked with her on contracts. It wasn't, um, but it wasn't a full-time salary benefit job. It was an hourly contract job um, and pretty part-time. So I got that job and I was really grateful for that. And that was a year ago. And it kind of like, after a few months, my contract ended, you know, we ended on good terms. Like she was actually my reference, <laughs> one of my references for this, the job that I just got. Um, so like, we're still in good terms, um, but it ended and I kind of started working on pop schools again and kind of just like, you know, floating through until, yeah, I just got fed up again where I was just like, I can't be living like this. I need an, a source of income. I, I've seen other people get hired who, like, you know, they have skills that are similar to what I have. So, like, I can do this. So, I just kind of, I don't know, it happened on Twitter where I was just like, hey, if I did a job search challenge, would people want to do it with me? And people were like, yeah. So, like, then it was born on Twitter as a hashtag. And immediately I had, um, I had some folks reach out and kind of, like, donate their services, which was awesome. Like, we got um, LinkedIn premium accounts for, I think, five or six of us. Um, um, career coach Mitzi. I'm sorry, I don't, I can't, I don't remember how to pronounce your last name, so I don't want to butcher it. But Mitzi, um, she volunteered to like run some workshops on networking and resume building and LinkedIn. Um, I had a resume writer come in and give us tips. So like we kind of started this chat. It started as this hashtag, but then there was like a blog and a chat group started. Um, and in, in the beginning, like there was a daily prompt, like, Hey, like today, I think day one was to write yourself a letter and have it sent through future me. And so that's how I know that we're not at the hundred days because at 100 days, I'm going to get my letter back <laughs> that passed me sent. Um, but yeah, at the beginning, there was a daily prompt of like things you could do to like be on your job search. Uh, that lasted a couple weeks. And there's there's docs like there. It's still there. But the daily prompt stopped. Um, yeah, I didn't start it because I needed I needed a, a job and I'd gotten more engaged with the Twitter community and it's actually been really nice to be going through it with other people. You mentioned two examples of a clearly right way and a clearly wrong way to get people like the skills and the information that they need to get hired. And I think that that is something that so many people need help with. 
Um, I've had this conversation a few times with some folks. It was just like, I don't need your retweets <laughs> or your likes. I need you to do something that's going to help in so many cases. Like, I, I appreciate the retweets. I appreciate the likes. But at the end of the day, I need to eat. <laughs> I need yeah. to feed my family. So what can you do? That will give me equal footing with those around me. And I don't mean that in like a, what can you do that I don't have to do anything to get equal footing, but what can you do that ensures that the work that I'm putting in is on par with all the other people around me? And, and that's what I mean. Like with, with code schools, I'm about, I've got an interview with someone that is an instructor at a code school. And I've worked with code schools in the past, um, a few of them out of the California area. And the thing that I have always seen that kind of rubs me the wrong way about code schools is that they want to use their successes as marketing for mm. future candidates. Mm -hmm. And I see that so much with people of color of like, Oh, hey, you know, we're going to give you a free ride so that when you get hired, we can use your story as an example of how we were able to help the black community. Yes. And we're going to convince everyone else after you to pay us thousands and thousands of dollars. And we're not really going to care how successful. And that's, that's not a direct stab at those schools in particular. That's not a jab at. I mean, it is a jab at the code school industry because here's the thing. I have heard so many conversations of using people as a way to market a product. And every time it's always felt the same way. Shitty. It, yeah. I have no other word for it. That's exactly how it is. Hey, let's, let's talk about, let's talk with this person to show like how we were able to successfully work with them. And I'm going into an industry now with developer advocacy that has a lot of issues with that, where it's like, let's mm -hmm. talk to successful people that use our product to encourage others to use our product. The thing is, my goal is to do it in a way that celebrates the person, not the product, the person. The one that encourages people to use the product to gain their success with no commitment to after the fact, we're going to use you as a marketing ploy to make more money for us. Because what I've learned is when you actually care, and I think this was another episode that we had before is like, you have to give a damn. Like when you actually give a damn about the people. Yeah. And not about your own success, not about your bottom line. Your bottom line will be fine. My podcast is what it is today because of the people that I've had on. I've always told people I, I've had very few internet famous people on the show because internet famous people don't move the needle. They like, they just don't like when someone goes, Oh yeah, it was so great to be on Jay's show. I have like a one week spike <laughs> that's like, Oh yeah, like 2000 people listened to the episode and then they never came back. <laughs> but when I have people that I've met friends through this show 
and I've gone and I've, I've like, I'm going to be interviewing someone that I met because of this show like four years ago. And I'm going to be interviewing, interviewing them again. And we've been talking on and off for four years now. Like we're literally catching up as friends. Like, and we're just recording it because they do a show. I do a show. Let's, let's <laughs> do a show together, I guess. But at the end of the day, the growth that we've seen, the successes that we've seen have come from understanding that there's a story to be told and then getting out of the way and letting them tell the story. But then also letting it be a space for people to grow, giving them the things that they need so that they can grow. If someone says, Hey, I've got a course and I need you to sell my course. Like, no, (laughs) just no. But if someone says, Hey, like, I've been searching for a job for a hundred days, <laughs> which is just again terrible because <laughs> I, I it's stressful. I won't say it's terrible; it's stressful. I want to share that journey, share those secrets, those tips. I want to encourage people to know that, like, yes, you can do it, and yes, there are people out here that are like you said. You felt like you were the only person in the world that had to go through these problems, mm-hmm. and. That's because no one, no one was interviewing those people. No one was having those conversations with those people. And I'm not going to say that I'm perfect at it. I'm really not. I'm terrible at it because I've been rambling for 10 minutes now. But at the same time, that's what this show is supposed to be about. Let's talk about the successes. Let's talk about the failures so that there's someone else out there that can hear Nikima's story and use that as inspiration to say, you know what? I got kids. I really want to do this. And I've been broke. How do I do that? Like, how do I do that? And and even if the answers aren't on this show, and this is how I'm going to wrap this up, they can always find you and reach out to you. Yes, they can. (laughs) So I'm going to end it there because otherwise I'm going to get on my my soapbox and I'm going to be preaching up here for like another hour. And we still got an after show to get to. Okay. But please, please. Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing that story. I think that there are a lot of times where I feel like I have to like pull all this information out of people and you just, you just brought it and put it <laughs> on the table. And I was like, all right, awesome. Let's wrap up and call it a day. But please let everybody know how they can connect with you to learn more about what you're doing. Yeah. So I'm mostly very much on Twitter. Um, my web presence is not really a thing right now um, beyond that. But you can find me at dev, D-E-V underscore Nikema, N-I-K-E-M-A. Um, I, I don't know. You can, yeah, you can search my name. If you, <laughs> Are there going to be like show notes or something? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll put some links in the yeah, show notes. <laughs> yeah, there's not, I don't know any other Nikema prophets. So uh you can search me. I'm pretty accessible. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, Nikima Prophet, Pop Schools, you'll find me. Hey, you've been listening to my conversation with Nikima Prophet. I want to thank Nikima so much for being a guest on the show. Like I said, I really enjoyed that conversation with her. We were both going through a bunch of stuff at that time, uh, just trying to figure out our journeys in the space. 
And yeah, I was I was super stoked to be able to interview her and talk to her. And even as this show was about to come out, reaching out to her again and kind of catching up and figuring out stuff, um, just kind of learning how, you know, some of the struggles that we we share are the same, even when you're working versus when you're looking for work. You know, a lot of that stuff doesn't really change. It's just one less thing to be thinking about or worrying about. But uh, thanks to Nakima for being a guest on the show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, yeah, I hope you're I hope you're doing good. Let me know how you're doing out there. Uh, be sure to reach out, kjymiller.com. Uh, you can hit the little contact button at the top, or you can reach out to me on Twitter, kjymiller. I'm on LinkedIn as well, kjymiller. But, I mean, does who uses LinkedIn to, like, do this kind of stuff? I don't know. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I'm um, getting into my anxiety now, so I'm just going to drop that. Uh, after this, we have the after show that I had with Nakima. I hope that you enjoyed that as well. But thank you so much for listening. I hope you've had a good one. I'm your host, Jay Miller. This has been The Pit Show. And until next week, I will talk to you later. Yes. <laughs> All right. So like I said, there are no rules as little or as long as you want to go as many questions that you want to ask and no topic is off limits. I'm excited because so much I learned so much. And now I really hope that we can dive into some of those areas, but we don't have to. We can we can do that some other time. So from this point on, I'm going to stop talking until you ask me to. The show is yours. OK, Um, I would like to know how you got started on your developer journey and follow-up question is when did you figure out that you wanted to be a developer advocate? Um, all right. So the first question was, when did I get started on the developer journey? Is it bad that I say I don't fully remember? Like, <laughs> It, it was kind of weird because I've always been intrigued with like programming. I've done like, you know, the HTML, CSS, JavaScript stuff since like high school, but it was never really an idea of like, I'm going to be a Python developer. I'm going to, you know, be a front end developer, any of that stuff. I would think actually the second part, the developer, the developer advocate part is actually easier to answer. So I started doing the podcast like, six years ago, I think six and six, almost seven years ago, something like that. I don't remember really, but the, the show was designed to be me learning how to be productive after I got out of the military. And then I just realized that no one really had the answer. So I was like, all right, well, in the meantime, how do I become more productive at being a podcaster? which had me like doing these little, like writing these little scripts in Python to like automate my show notes and do all this other little stuff. And a lot of that stuff has just been lost over time. But once I realized it was something that I could do and I wanted to be able to share it, I started going to like these local meetups in San Diego. And I think it was there. Like I was just doing like some, the work on like a little flask web app that I was building and people were genuinely excited. People were like encouraging and like helpful. And I was like, oh man, I want to do this. This is awesome. I want to help people. This is great. 
And so I just, I just stayed in the industry and stayed doing Python for years after that. And then I realized quickly, like podcasting is literally getting up and having like a talk, you know, once a week or something like that, you know, roughly, you know, to me, the best interviewers are, well, I guess the most famous interviewers are the ones that you see on TV that show up, you know, for their weekly show they get up, they they give a, a little monologue, they sit down, they interview somebody, they have some good questions to ask, a lot of it's scripted, but whatever. And then after that, you know, they wrap it up. And I really wanted to do that, but I noticed that there were some really good talks that I had started listening to. And like I started treating those people almost like what I was doing with with the podcast, where it was like, okay, well, they're getting up and they're telling a story. The story just happens to have code in it. And I was like, you know what? Like, I don't really have any aspirations to write any kind of particular code, but I do like storytelling. So if I can tell stories with the code that I write or use my the art of storytelling to, to tell a story about the code that I've written, then... That sounds interesting to me. And then I learned that there's a whole job around that called developer advocacy. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that was kind of the the whole the whole story. Like I said, it's kind of murky, honestly. I It was just like a series of events that were like, hey, these people are cool. What do they do? I want to do that. What, you tell me I can't do that? Well, screw you. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, developer advocate was kind of my dream job too <laughs> it can still so, be your dream yeah yeah there. <laughs> um so what's something you achieved in 2020 that you're proud of i got a job <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm, I'm with you i, I landed that advocate <laughs> job that was it meant a lot because like i said for so many years I was told you need to go back to college and get a computer science degree and then you need to become a junior developer. And I was like, yo, I'm married and I live in Southern California. It's expensive here. <laughs> like, it's not like San Francisco expensive, but it's expensive. Like, I can't, even with the GI Bill covering, you know, my college tuition, I still got to put food on my, you know, my family's table. So, how do I do that and go back to school? So I just didn't. I just kept working. Yeah. And so many people were like, you're never gonna get hired because you don't you don't have the qualifications. You need to get you need to get a junior developer job. You need to get promoted into the position because you don't have the background that will allow you to get hired. And honestly, I I'm upset that it took something like, you know, the George Floyd incident mm -hmm. to like wake people up and be like, yo, we're just like treating black people so wrong. <laughs> like, like, I mean, that's what it like. Part of it was that it was like, it was a very horrible time where some people that I had seen as mentors were like, look, I've done a lot to help you, but I haven't been doing enough. Let me, let me start like really making this work. And I was like, yo, I give me a job. Like, let, let's do this. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm going to ace the interview. Like I, I told him, I was like, look, if you can get me in the door, I can take it from there. 
The problem is no one wants to take a chance on the college dropout. Like that, yeah. that's just the thing. And the, the thing that got me was the second that I started doing interviews, I made it to the second round every time, at least the second round. So, I mean, if, if people want to say like, I wasn't technically qualified, then okay, we can have that conversation. That's fine. But in terms of like getting the interview and acing the interview, that was something that I was comfortable doing because again, I've been podcasting for like six years. So it's like, I'm comfortable talking with people. I just needed someone to say, you know what? Let's give him a shot because it may work out. Who knows? Because when it was offered, I was able to do it. And like, that's the thing. Like no one, no one had to go, well, let's just hire him because it's diversity hire or anything like that. Like my boss is non-technical. Well, traditionally non-technical. She's technical now, but she learned on the job. And I I bring up, she learned on the job. Like to me, that was important. Like I, I thought that was dope. Like, Hey, not only you had two strikes against you and you got hired and you got promoted. Like, that's awesome. Like I want to work for a company that, that ignores those things. And I feel like I did that. I feel like I got a, a job where I can actually grow in the company, even though I don't have a certification or a degree or any of those things, which is why, again, I apologize because when, when you tweeted about the, the Google certification thing, I wasn't upset at the fact that you were looking at it as an opportunity to help get people hired. I was looking at it as, okay, this is an excuse for Google to continue to force education as a requirement to move up the ladder instead of just judging people by their merit. Yeah. I don't know. I don't feel strongly either way about the Google thing. <laughs> I think it's um, it's potentially a good thing and it's potentially garbage. Like it's... if if it doesn't lead to the people who complete the certificate getting jobs at Google and other places, then it's, it's pointless. So we'll see. Yeah. The jury is still out on that one. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I do feel like what they're going to do is say similar to the conversation that we had earlier, where you're going to say like, Oh, Hey, look, yeah, we created this program that allowed people from, you know, financially struggling backgrounds to be able to to work at Google. And we hired 10 people. Congratulations to us. And it's like, yeah, but you also employ like 30,000 people. So yeah, 10 out of 30,000 isn't really that big of a number. Yeah. That's a big thing that I have kind of observed and bothers me about the corporate sponsor or not sponsor, what are they called? Corporate software development apprenticeships there's like 10 spots hundreds of applicants and it the bar is so high that it's almost like i get that this is progress technically but you're still it's it's not accessible um okay back to the interview (laughs) back to the questions when you were job interviewing did you ever detect or suspect that you were being discriminated against? Um, and did you run into any companies where 
it was immediately clear that, and I'm going to use this for lack of a better term, that there wasn't a culture fit <laughs> between you and that company. I, I don't think that I ran into any opportunity or, or any um, instances where I was just clearly discriminated against. I will say that I definitely had an interview or two where I was, I clearly understood that I was a diversity hire mm. and didn't appreciate that very much, but that was, there's a whole layer of stuff to unwrap there that I won't unwrap here right now. Um, unless you want to, but the, <laughs> in terms of like a bad culture fit, that is tough because I think I've worked at a company where I didn't fit the culture for so long. It was like, all right, I kind of know going in, like I had people offer me to like tell me to apply to places that I was just like, nah, that's not like I can, I can tell by their marketing, I wouldn't be a good culture fit. So I just kind of avoided mm -hmm. those. But again, I'm, I'm also coming from a, a very privileged position of like, my day job didn't know that I was job hunting. Like when, like when I told my boss, like he was like, I mean, I kind of thought it might be happening, but it wasn't really like, I didn't really think that I was just like, Oh, you know, he's been, when he goes to lunch, he like goes to lunch. He like <laughs> disappears for like an hour. <laughs> like, so I mean, it was just like, you know, it was one of those things where like at the end of the day, I could have not had anything work out and then just gone back to, you know, my day job and been okay. I would have been miserable, but I would have been okay. So I, I think for me, like I was in a position to where I could turn down the idea of applying to places, or I could just tell companies like, I'm not really interested. Makes sense. Um, I forgot what my next question was going to be. Oh, so this is a big thing that I, I wish more people could answer for themselves. Um, but what are your skills outside of your hard tech skills, your skills, traits, abilities that make you a great candidate for a developer advocate role? Uh, the, the podcasting for six years was a, was a big thing <laughs> and only, only because now, especially with 2020, the way it's been, people aren't able to just go to conferences and talk. So companies are looking for other ways to engage their advocates. A lot of them have gone into live streaming. I live stream like except for when it's a thousand degrees, like it's been the last couple of weeks, <laughs> I live stream every day and it's just me programming. It's like me having conversations with myself and you know, the people that, that watch enjoy it. The people that don't watch, who cares about them? They're not watching. So it's, it's one of those things of, of me being able to say, I, I knew where I knew the direction that, places were going to be going in the future and set myself up so that I could fit in those spaces easily. Like I, I started streaming for the idea of like one day I could get paid to do this, not from like Twitch subs and things like that, but from a company where it's like, Hey, follow along with the journey of developers from inside of the company. 
let's have those conversations. Let's do live video interviews with people. And it was like, I positioned myself to have the equipment, have the skill set, and have the networking connections so that I could make that transition as easy as possible for my potential employer. So this was kind of a a strategy that I took, and I don't know, it sounds like you were on a similar path, but what do you think about the idea of doing the job that you want to do for free initially until people recognize you and want to pay you to do that job? Yeah, no, I, I, you're 100% on that one. Like, that's that's exactly what I did. It was like, one day a company will pay me to interview developers. So I'm just going to interview developers now so that I can learn what questions to ask. And when I mentioned like Pitt originally being like this whole, like, how do I become more productive in my job so I don't get fired? Like when I realized at that point, like no one really knows what they're doing. (laughs) That's, that's when it changed. It was like, okay, in that case, let me start, preparing let me start learning what i'm supposed to be doing now so that in the future when they're looking for someone who's an expert in that space people can say oh yeah go talk to jay he knows what he's doing when it comes to podcasting or live streaming or all those things so and i and i talked about this um in the last episode as we're recording this uh every other week i i would do like a a reflection and I had a conversation with someone who is a content creator and they were like, yeah, well, I'm t- I don't really want to do all this stuff for free. And how do I set myself up so that it feels like a business so that it operates like a business so that the reward, the rewards and payouts are that of a business. And I told them, so, well, the first thing that you have to do is you have to build your own storefront. You can't go, you know, build your own stuff in your own in someone else's platform if you're going to do it like that. The other thing is don't be afraid to just give stuff away because as long as you're not having to feed your family off of that content, there is no requirement for you to monetize. Now, I'm not saying that you don't provide areas where people can pay you if they want. By all means, do that. Get paid. Like I'm not I'm not telling anybody like don't do work for free. But what I'm saying is do work with the understanding of the payment may not be immediate. And and I can say that as someone who has almost effectively doubled their salary going into IT based on the things that they did in their spare time for free. Like that skill set allowed me to move into a position to where I'm now making close to twice of what I was making when I started into the industry. Wow. Yeah, I, I guess I should clarify, like, don't work for free for yeah. someone else's company. <laughs> don't yeah, do that. Like, do work for yourself. <laughs> yeah. But also set the price. And if the price is going to be free, know that you can use that skill set down the road to get paid. And the only other thing I would say with that is don't use that skill set to get paid at the minimum level. Treat it as a premium because companies are designed to pay you as little as possible. (laughs) Like 
any good business is not going to pay you extra for the things that you do. You have to demand that. So, and then a lot of them have that space. So always negotiate a salary, always go above what they offer you because why not? Worst case is they say no. And then now it's back on you. But if you're bringing something to the table that other people in the industry don't have that makes you more desirable, use that as leverage to get paid more, like by all means, because then all that work that you've done, you've now gotten paid for may not have been a lot, but over time you will, you'll reap those benefits back. Okay. Did you have a mentor that was influential in getting you to where you are today? Um, I had plenty of mentors. I have to say that. And I think every single one of them, they're awesome. In terms of where I am exactly like right now, I would say other than them putting their name out, like saying, hey, you need to go like interview Jay because I know he's ready because I've been working with him for so long. Other than that, not really, because in terms of podcasting, my mentor would be like Saranya Bark, and we talk maybe once a year. And like, I love my conversations with Saran. I always tell people she's like my big sister, but it's not like <laughs> we're not having like conversations day in, day out. Like, hey, I listened to your last episode. You said, um, like 15 times you need to not do <laughs> like that's not the conversation that's happening. It's always just us catching up with each other, sharing stories, talking about some of the stuff that we've learned, some of the things that we want to do. Um, she just launched Discs, so I'm super happy for that. Like, that's going to be fun. But I think it's been a culmination of, like, my Python mentors got my coding skills up to par. They allowed me to ask questions. And then once they realized that they didn't have as many answers as before because the questions got more and more um, they came at a higher skill level, then I think that was what gave them the confidence to put my name out there. But in terms of who taught me how to podcast like this, nobody did. Six years of experience did. Like Having real conversations with people did. Who taught me how to be an advocate? Just me watching other advocates and asking questions, but none of them in like a formal arrangement kind of way. It was just like... Like, hey, you know, a good example of this, uh, I think you know him, B. Dougie uh, over at GitHub. Mm -hmm. Like, I talked to, I talked, I call him Brian because that's his name. But (laughs) I talked to Brian. Brian's going to be on the podcast. Let's just say that. Yeah, shout out to Brian. Um, But I've known Brian for four years. Uh, When he worked at Netlify, I I had applied to Netlify at the time. I didn't get it, but it's fine. I I, I didn't blame him. It wasn't his decision. (laughs) But, um, him being a developer advocate, I would sit in his live streams and just ask him questions and then see how I could be helpful and then do things because that, that gave me, it's almost like being an intern, but like doing it at your own time commitment. Kind of like how you were saying, like you were working on contract, but it was like part, part time. Like yeah, you, you had a lot of autonomy and like how much work you took on and what you did, but it still gave you access to that. Like a lot of the conversations that I had this year with a lot more developer advocates were great because they didn't know that I was applying for developer advocate positions. 
but I wanted to really measure, kind of like see where I measured up in the conversation of like, okay, how much, how technical do I really need to be? Because a lot of like some developer advocates will tell you, you need to be like super technical and other ones will just be like, nah, you, you really just need to be able to have conversations with people. Like your job is very little technical. You can, you can learn one thing and then give a talk on that one thing for at like 15 different conferences throughout the year. And the thing that really matters is the conversations that you have after the fact. So like, if you can do that and then like the people that I sat down with Heidi, um, she was amazing. Cause she was the one that showed me like, she was like, if you can move to Oakland, we can hire you as a, as a developer advocate before wow. I felt ready. And I was like, that's I can't awesome. move to Oakland. Like that's just not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> like I, as much as I really want this, like I cannot move to Oakland. That's just, that's not me right now. So having those people in my corner and being able to like have conversations with them, not be afraid to ask them questions about what they're doing and see where I need to improve helped me. But there was never like this, Hey, can I call you like once a week? And then like, you kind of groom me into being (laughs) a developer advocate like that. That never happened. And I think another place where we kind of have a similar background is that we are grown, (laughs) grown folks. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think it's, it's a different, like we have to take a different approach when you're, you have a family, um, you know, you have a family to support, you have a a full-time job. Like I just, I would like to hear more stories from grown folks who are career switching the way that we have um like i guess to put it in the question form like what would you like how would you recommend this career path to to other people who kind of might not feel like they have the time or they have the ability to make that change um that that is tough because <laughs> I I recognize that everything I did was kind of strategic, but it wasn't like day one, yo, I'm not gonna have time for this when I'm 30. Let me let me figure this out like now and then plan it out so that when I'm 30 I can get hired. <laughs> but it definitely was a situation of like you said, not having a plan B of like I want to do this thing. Okay. This thing doesn't really look that great anymore. How can I apply that to something else so that it's not lost time? I think that's the big thing is like avoiding lost time stuff. And that's where like going back to school to get a computer science degree, I, I, I kind of consider that lost time because while you're at school, you can't get paid. Um, mm-hmm. Going to boot camps again, they're making more off of you than you're making off of them. It <laughs> right. is what it is. Um, So how can you position yourself? And this is as someone who is, I call myself digitally extroverted. I love talking to people as long as there's a computer screen between us. Like (laughs) you get us in the same room. I'm going to be off in the corner doing my own little thing because that's just me. I'm I'm not, I don't want to be the loudest person in a room when people can see me. Uh, But (laughs) 
but setting it up so that the time isn't wasted. I mean, we're all on Twitter. We're all doing Twitter stuff. But why not use that time on Twitter to see people talking about problems that they're having and then try to also help solve them? You know, be a, a, a person that's supportive in that area because that's, at the end of the day, it's time not lost. It's time that you're spending that you would be spending there anyway. But then it also may come back to you. And I'm not saying that it has to. I'm not saying go into it with the idea of like, I'm going to retweet this kid's like looking for a job post because one day he might be a CEO at some startup <laughs> and then remember me. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when the person that you are is someone that like wants to see other people get hired, you're willing to advocate for them. You're willing to help them. You're willing to have those conversations with them. Other people will be looking at that. And when they see it and when you do that so that it's your authentic you, like this is just the person that I am. Like, I mean, that's what our community has been about is like, a bunch of people at different stages of the tech journey, just living life together and figuring out how we can help one another out. And a lot of days it's literally just like, yo, what'd you have for coffee today? Nothing. Okay. Yeah. No, I had this. <laughs> like we're living together. It's not like, not everything has to be about like, Oh, I submitted to these five companies. Way to go. It's just like, no, nah, when something sucks, like California being on fire right now, yeah. Like, hey, are you good? You need anything? Do we need to send you like some masks or something? Like, everybody good? Everybody alive? Like, check in with us, please. Like, those kind of things. Those are the people that you want in your corner because one day they might see somebody that's like, oh, hey, you you have a very specific need for someone that does podcasting. I know somebody. Let me let me reach out to them. I mean, that was where I was with you know one of my latest gigs that I picked up doing transcription stuff. I wrote the framework. Like, I wrote a a wrapper around automated transcription services because I was doing transcriptions for people and it sucked. And it was like, all right, I got two choices. I can either stop getting paid or I can find a way to make this better for me. And now it's like, I have people that I've helped that are like, Hey, by the way, we're doing a conference. Do you want to talk about this project on the conference? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? I'm getting paid to do it now. So that makes me come out the gate looking stronger. So like, I don't have to go to my employer and be like, all right, uh, well, what conferences do you want me to apply to? <laughs> I can go in and be like, hey, look, I'm already scheduled to talk to th- these, you know, upcoming conferences. Like, what do you want me to add to my slides to show that I work for you? Like, let's, wow. let's have that conversation. So I kind of forgot what the original question was, <laughs> but, but I think all in all it was that's, that to me is like, oh, I remember now. To me, that's what it's about. It's about like acting like an adult, acting like it is your job to do this thing and going in with the expectation that nobody owes you anything. But at the same time, people will feel committed. If if you are putting them on, they will want to do the same. Like that's the thing. And I think I even put this in a tweet yesterday. Like I want to eat so that I can feed all my people. Yeah, I want to I want to get on so my mom doesn't have to pay her house payment. Like we all want to do that. We all grew up wanting to do that. I'm going to join the NBA so I can buy my mama's house like, you know, that whole thing. I wanted that, but it extends past my biological family, the people that I meet online. I want to see them put on. I want to see them succeed. I want to see them grow in the areas that they want to grow. And I'm going to work hard to see that happen. 
But I also know that by doing that, something will come back to me. I don't know what it is, but something will. And I'm excited for whatever that thing is. But if it doesn't show up until I'm, you know, 45, 50, whatever, I'm just accepting that as what it is what it is. Because I'm gaining all these skills along the way as I go. Um, do you have a favorite book or movie? Um, are we talking fiction or nonfiction? <laughs> the answer might be uh, anything. I'm not big on movies. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Spider-Man Into the Multiverse was good. The Lego movie was good. I got kids, so, you know. <laughs> I don't know the last like adult movie I've seen. Honestly, <laughs> um, the books. If we're talking fiction, my favorite book of all time is probably Balzac and the Little Chinese Seamstress by Dai Siji. Um, he writes about the Chinese like cultural revolution under like Mao Zedong, and it's a it's a story that was partially true it kind of covers the author's life of having to relocate to an area to be re-educated because his parents were counter-revolutionary and he basically had to go somewhere where all of his books were taken away from him and all of his prized possessions were taken away from him as a way to reform and be a part of the culture uh so that's a beautiful story um it's a love story sorry i you know it's romantic stuff but it's it's a really cool story Nonfiction. i've been telling everybody this because it's kind of gotten me a little bit of attention um how to be everything the story or what is it i got the i got the book right here hold on <laughs> um how to be everything a guide for those who still don't know what they want to be when they grow up by emily wapnick is an amazing book because it allows you to think about all of your passions as a portion of who you are, not just like, I have to be a developer or I have to be a developer advocate or I have to be this or I have to be. It's like, I'm a podcaster that can write code and that works in communities a lot. And that defines who I am as the whole me professionally. And I can use those to create like the perfect role for me, which is kind of developer advocacy in that way. But also like if I choose to keep those things separated, that's fine too. It's just kind of giving myself a system to think about it in that way. I love that. I kind of feel like I naturally came to that conclusion. I I still want to read this book, but (laughs) I kind of, I naturally came to that conclusion where it's like, if you're just going to look at, my coding skills in javascript or web development like that's not spectacular that's not gonna like impress anybody (laughs) that's kind of like but if you look at me as a whole like if you look at everything that i i bring as a person and my skills and my interests and my perspective like that is something that's special and nobody else has that so i Yeah, I love that. I want to read this book now. (laughs) I I think the thing about looking at it that way is, is if you want to just write code, you can go work anywhere and just write code. Eventually, you will probably get tired 
of just writing code that you're not excited about. Right. But if you can somehow merge the the thought of writing code and write code that is centered around things that you enjoy doing, like all of the code that I've written has been either in support of building websites for like little creators or little project ideas or around the idea of me as a podcaster. What can I do that makes my job as a podcaster or the job of others as content creators easier, which is why I built Transcriptor, which is why I did like a show noter, which was like my original podcast coding project. Like I enjoy building the things that I build because I use them and they make my life easier. And if I can do that on a scale of like right now, like my big goal is I want to, I really want to get into the idea of like understanding big data and like a social justice issues, like kind of that area so that I can be able to look at data and make good, like, cons- like ideas and good thoughts, you know, based that are backed by data. I can go like, Hey, my hypothesis is that, you know, there would be less black people in jail if we invested at least, you know, $2,000 per child in African-American school systems. And here's the data that proves that. Like, those are just numbers. I don't know. I feel like we should invest <laughs> way more than $2,000 in the school system, especially since kids cost a ton of money. Um, but by doing those things, I'm more energized to learn what needs to be learned to make that happen. And I mean, it's to me, that's what creates longevity in the business. It's like the people that stay in the industry for a really long time is because when the work gets tough, you still want to do it because you know why you're wanting to do it versus just being like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta go play with react again because that's (laughs) the thing that we do is we play with react and like, I mean, react is okay, but I prefer Vue or Next.js, you know, all those things. It's just like, I I don't want to be stuck in that position to where I feel like I can't grow and take on new hobbies and be able to kind of merge them in with things that I'm doing. I'll ask one more because I think my kids are starting to want me. Um, and... Yeah, related to kids, like what's one thing being a parent has taught you? Um, the biggest one is that, and I won't say taught, but it's been like a reminder of like, if the building isn't on fire, just be happy. It's <laughs> like, there's so many times where like we have these these goals or these expectations of our kid. And then there are other times where like, okay, hey, she didn't grab a knife today. Like, that's a win. <laughs> like, I don't have to try to like keep her from stabbing herself, you know. And I, I make myself feel like a terrible parent when I say that. But it's like kids will find a way to just make you upset, make you angry. Like, but then like they'll do something else right after you. Just be like, that was my kid. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> like, so... I always say like, look, it could, it could always be worse. Your kid could have burned down the house. Like be glad they didn't and just keep, keep it moving. Cause if you get too caught up with one thing, you're going to be behind them. Cause they're already getting into the next thing. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I guess that's all I have since we've been on for a while. <laughs>